as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears me. Sweet land of liberty of the As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, my friends, what do you say? You ready to do this thing? Welcome on a Wednesday morning at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this 16th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord 2023 to Always Right Radio. We've got a nice show lined up for you. Before I tell you about any of it, however, I want to take this moment to speak to someone who is not listening simply because I just want to. Uh, she's not listening because she's in classes at this hour. Her actual first day of law school classes down at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and it just happens to be her birthday. And, of course, I'm speaking of my daughter, uh, 22 years amazing today, and uh, it's the first time she's ever actually been in classes on her birthday. Uh, but uh, this is a very special time for us. She's had orientation for the last four or five days. We took her down there about a week and a half ago, which is why we had some guest hosts as we moved her into her new home in Knoxville. And uh, I just want to say happy 22nd birthday to my daughter. She is um, she is the light of our lives, along with her brother, uh, the two most amazing accomplishments my wife and I have ever, ever been able to uh, uh, to achieve. And, uh, and God bless you, Jaden. We love you very much. Happy birthday to my daughter. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard when you know she can't hear. Like, I wish my son a happy birthday last month on his birthday, live and on the air. He's up at the University of Toledo playing football. He was listening because he listens on the uh, uh, on the app, and uh, he was in between, so he didn't have practice at that time, so he heard me. I knew she wouldn't hear me because she's in classes, but it's okay. It makes me feel better. All right, so coming up on the program today in about an hour and a half at 1035, bottom of hour number two, we're going to talk to Dr. Carrie Gress, uh, which is a conversation that I'm looking forward to uh, as we talk um, 
about basically uh, how we can get wokeness uh, uh, out of the the face and the sphere of women. What that means is women have been losing their identities. Women are under attack. The existence of women is quite literally uh, in jeopardy because of what is happening with the trans movement in America. Dr. Carrie Grass uh, has written an op-ed about protecting uh, kids and the end of womanhood. Um, it, it's a really terrific article. Uh, we we're going to let her explain the position here, and uh, we're going to talk about how it is that um, mothers can protect their children and how we can protect all of them, mothers, daughters, and so forth. Uh, she's the author of The End of Woman as well, and we're going to talk to her coming up at 1035. This is a big issue. It's a big deal. It's not an issue as much as a cultural flashpoint. Do you ever think we'd come to a place in our world, in our country, you know, where, honestly, the existence of men and women are now called into question? Well, it's true. The existence, particularly of women, as women lose spaces, lose privacy, lose opportunities, lose identity, because trans women are real women. That means fully biological males, anatomically, genetically, chromosomally, uh, by every cell in their body, <laughs> they're males, but if they say they're women, then they are women, and they get to dress like them, act like them, and real women have to stand there and watch the woman-facing of their, their sex uh, happen before their eyes, and they have to applaud it. If they dare challenge it, if they dare condemn it, if they dare speak out against it, they get canceled. It's just wrong. So I'm looking forward to that conversation with Dr. Gress. At 10 to, or 11.10, rather, we're going to talk to uh, Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor and I are formulating our ret- the return of our podcast, by the way, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. It may be rebranded. We pulled away uh, for a few months uh, when Jack was getting ready for his wedding uh, and uh, you know, getting his, uh, you know, continuing with his amazing news operation, the Ohio Press Network, which you can find online. Uh, but we are ready to launch that uh, coming up probably as early as next week. But anyway, Jack and I are going to talk about a couple of very important issues affecting the state of Ohio. That'll be happening at 1110. So Dr. Gress at 1035, Jack Windsor at 1110, and between now and then, just you and me together at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now, I'm going to do our Pledge of Allegiance here and take a time out before I come back because I don't want to be interrupted as I share with you a very important message from Steve Dace. You probably know Steve Dace as the uh, producer uh, and, I believe, the writer of the uh, outstanding movie Nefarious. Uh, he is also an author. Uh, he is a tremendous uh, conservative Christian, and he's got a message about what's going on in the ongoing indictments of Donald Trump that all of us need to hear, and I'm going to read it to you coming up after we... <clears throat> Do our pledge and take our time out. I don't want to be interrupted in that course. So, friends, let's do that now. Let's stand up and uh, face our flags. If you're in the car, just look at your flag. Standing doesn't work too well when you're driving. Uh, but you can at least put your hand on your heart and drive with your left hand. Can you do that? Let's do that together here. And if you are a believer in the Banana Republic, if you are a believer in trying to jail political opponents solely for the purpose of power, well, then that means you're a Democrat and uh as such, you have no reason to stand and pledge your allegiance to a flag you don't believe in. You may instead take a knee over there next to that blue-haired soccer player and that former quarterback. As for the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, 
one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Going to take that time out now at 916. Always right radio right back on AM 1420. True international over depression. Okay, 920. So I wanted to do this uninterrupted. I normally don't read articles or posts long form from other people. I may give you the gist of what some people say and give you a couple of quotes, but I want to read this entire one from Steve Dace. I don't think uh, most of us, myself included, so that's why I say us, truly understand the depth of the danger of what is happening here and uh, with respect to the indictment of President Trump, the indictments, plural, of President Trump, but specifically the one in Fulton County, Georgia. Yesterday, I talked in some depth about the inability for President Trump to possibly get a fair jury trial in Washington, D.C., um, or, or in Manhattan. Two of his cases, two of the indictments, the trials that he's facing are going to be held in D.C. One is the J-6 allegations, and then there's the uh, Mar-a-Lago document case, which for whatever reason uh, is not being tried down in Florida, but it's going to be tried also in D.C. Washington, D.C. has essentially a 99% Democrat um, citizenry. All right, 99%. It's not real. It's not a joke. It's it's real. It is overwhelmingly left wing, maniacal uh, uh, politics in Washington, and there is no way any J six defendant has gotten a fair shake in front of a Washington jury, and there's no way that Donald Trump will get a fair shake in front of a Washington jury. The other one is in Manhattan, of course. And there's no way that, again, very overwhelmingly left-wing Manhattan jurors uh, who are going to be deciding a case there that's been brought just unbelievably by overstuffed Alvin, Alvin Bragg, the DA there. Uh, but I left out Georgia yesterday. I just talked about the left-wing you know, uh, uh, locations of those other trials. Steve Dace, though, wants you to know about Georgia. And he wants you to know what the implications of this are. And I read this this morning at about uh, 7 o'clock, and I decided I wanted to share this with you in the opening segment. Quoting Steve Dace's post now. This isn't about memes. This isn't about talking points. This isn't about clever bait for clicks. This isn't about owning the libs. This is a very real political assassination attempt. Biden won nearly 75% of the vote in Fulton County, Georgia last time. From there will come the jury people that will put Trump and the others on trial. These Democrat activists will put Trump on trial for the rest of his natural life in a state where neither a president nor the current GOP governor are able to pardon him. Only the bureaucrats can pardon in Georgia. But to even apply for a pardon, you have to be five years removed from your conviction and clear of all other criminal allegations which means Trump could not even apply to the Georgia Parole Board until he was five years clear of all the other charges facing him as well. That would put Trump at least 83 years old, well past the current average lifespan of the average American male, which is 79. He could legit die in there. Trump won't tell us this, even though I'm sure he's well aware, because to do so would sully all of the branding that he's invulnerable. So I'm not sure how much his most ardent supporters truly realize the stakes here. The branding of Trump invulnerability is so successful, most people still don't understand the seriousness of what we are now watching. They'll remain convinced 
he has a secret plan, or this is all for show. But even Superman has his kryptonite. There will be no critical mass of pressure put on Georgia state politicians to do something about this, because most of the people who would apply such pressure haven't been honestly told just how vulnerable Trump truly is. Furthermore, who is going to pay the exorbitant legal expenses for the rest of the defendants there? That expense and the realization it's about to it's about individual survival now is how prosecutors try to get the mob to turn turn uh, turn on itself in RICO cases. And that's why they also indicted all these other people in the hopes that they will now turn on Trump to provide a lot better evidence than whatever the hell this indictment is. Thus, Trump will now go on trial in Stacey Abrams' home state for not being nearly as successful an election denier as she is. She was richly rewarded for doing exactly what Trump was accused of and by the very same people. The same forces that told you cloth masks stop airborne contagions. Your family business was non-essential. Genetic serums are vaccines. Men have a uterus. And Ukraine matters more than you. Will now tell you urging people to watch One American News Network is a RICO violation. Despite the branding and belief that this is all for show, I assure you, this revolution is very real. And it will be televised. So that was a Twitter post by Steve Dace that I reposted, retweeted, whatever you want to call it on X now. And I shared on my social media on the Facebook side as well. I have not yet put it on my truth social, but I will. And I want to talk about it with you, and I want to discuss it with you. Do you have an understanding, as Steve Dace is essentially saying you probably do not, of just how much legal jeopardy Trump is in. Donald Trump could very well be convicted in one or multiple trials. And in the case of Georgia, there would be no getting around it. There would be no quick pardon from a GOP governor. They don't allow the governor to give pardons in the state of Georgia. Every state, of course, has its own laws and rules. In Georgia, he would not be allowed to get that. Certainly in the state, in the, in the District of Washington, Washington, D.C., he's not going to be able to get out of any conviction with a pardon. And in Manhattan, it's just extraordinarily unlikely the left-wing Democrat power base there would ever allow such a thing. If he gets convicted, the only way he doesn't spend the next whatever period of sentence, you know, number of years in the sentence that he is given... Uh, that it will be behind bars is is through the appeal process. And then he would have to count on a judge allowing him to remain free while he is appealing his sentences so that he doesn't have to appeal them from behind bars. I don't know what the judges would look like in those cases except to tell you what I told you about the juries in Washington, D.C., at least, Now, I don't know, again, how it's going to look down in Georgia or specifically in Manhattan. But in Washington, D.C., the judges there are every bit as left-wing radical and rabidly anti-Trump as there are in the country, those individuals. How do we know this? Because of the number of January 6th defendants, the political prisoners still being held in Washington gulags, those defendants 
have petitioned the courts for a change of venue multiple times, begging to be tried somewhere else, saying they cannot get a fair trial in Washington because of the anti-Trump nature of the, 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 the people, the citizenry, the electorate there, and the judicial system. The judges have denied every single one of those requests for a change of venue. Why? Well, the answer is, if those J6 defendants were to actually get a trial outside of the District of Columbia, if they were able to get a a trial in a fair and neutral and impartial and not as rabidly anti-Trump community where the jurors will indeed be a jury of the peer, their peers, not people who hate them and hate the person that they were there rallying for on January 6th, if they got that trial or if they were, were able to get that trial outside of Washington, they might actually be acquitted. And if they were actually acquitted, it would call into question all of the other convictions that have already been handed down, the convictions that have been secured and then the sentences handed down in the district. The judges there don't want anyone questioning what they have done. And so that's why they'll never allow any J6 defendant to be tried outside of Washington, because it would expose that if these people were innocent when judged by, you know, fair and impartial juries, um, then how many other ones, you know, were were unlawful convictions? They're never going to do that. The judges there are hell-bent on making sure that every single J6 defendant that was there to support Donald Trump is brought on, that is brought to trial, is convicted. So if that's what they will do to the Trump supporters from January 6th, including the ones who did not do anything violent, did not take part in the quote-unquote riot, but were just present and got prosecuted anyway, if that's what they'll do to them, imagine what they will do to their leader, the President of the United States. Those judges will not give Donald Trump a chance if there's a conviction There will be a sentence, and it will be handed down immediately, and it will be served immediately. And he will remain behind those bars during the entire appellate process. That's how serious this is. If we are all sitting here thinking we know the Manhattan indictment is bogus, we know the documents indictment is bogus, we know the J6 indictment is bogus, and we know that the Georgia indictment is bogus, and that because they're bogus, the judicial system will play out and we will win. And he will be exonerated, and we'll go on, and he'll be elected, and we'll fix all of this in the next four years. If that's your mentality, I think we all need a great big slap-in-the-face wake-up call. Steve Dace just provided it. Donald Trump may not survive this politically or physically. And that's not something we wish for. That is something we are just repulsed by. But we better have a reality, a, a, the realization of. Let's talk about that on the other side of the news on Always Right Radio. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob Fretz on The Answer. Okay, uh, 935, Always Right Radio at AM 1420, The Answer. I just got a text message from a friend uh, during the break who said, uh, I can't believe the fact that Trump will likely go to jail as a surprise to anyone. And by the time his appeals get to the Supreme Court, it will have been packed. 
um, first part first. That's what Steve Dace was talking about. The belief among President Trump's most ardent and strong supporters is that he is invulnerable, that he can't be stopped, that he will ultimately win, that the force and the power of his you know, persona and his supporters and the MAGA movement and America First, that all of this will carry us on to justice and victory. Um, and, and I think that's a mistake. First of all, he's not invulnerable. He's human. He's not invulnerable. He's a citizen. He's not invulnerable. He is now a defendant. And because of all three of those things, he can indeed be controlled, um, convicted, and eventually imprisoned. That's just reality. Nobody wants to... Let me, let me, let me try this from another angle. No one wants to think that our criminal justice system is flawed. People think that justice always wins. People think that um, the innocent are always acquitted, the guilty are always convicted, and that eventually all of the things that have been done to attack not just Donald Trump, but the conservative movement in this country, his supporters, Literal supporters, including like his his you know fellow uh, indicted uh, individuals in Georgia, as well as just his supporters in the populace. People think that uh, you know be- because of that movement and because of that support, he will event this will all eventually work itself out and he'll be okay. That the attacks will will fail because we know that they're wrong. And the reality check here is that Steve Dace was trying to give in this is that. He's not invincible. The, he can be touched. They can reach out, and and in an unjust, imperfect system, they can lock him up, and thus all of our liberties, and quite frankly, a significant portion of the Constitution, along with him. We don't have a perfect judicial system. It's the best in the world. But our criminal justice system is flawed. Guess what? Innocent people have gone to prison before. Innocent people have been executed in the death penalty, in death penalty cases before. Guilty people have gone scot-free and been acquitted. Think O.J. Simpson, for example. Our justice system is the best in the world, but it is imperfect to say the least. That's when it's operating at its peak efficiency. Our criminal justice system is imperfect at its peak efficiency. When it's working its best, innocent people get railroaded into jail and guilty people get set free. That's when it's working perfectly. Okay? Now add corruption into the mix. Into the mix. When it's not working perfectly. That, that there are corrupt, bad actors playing roles in this, like corrupt DAs like overstuffed Alvin in, uh, in Manhattan, corrupt DAs like I want to be famous Fannie Willis in Fulton County in Georgia. When you have corrupt DAs, when you have partisan judges, when you have easily influenced grand juries 
and then criminal criminal trial juries. Easily influenced, left-wing, highly partisan, willing to swear an oath to do what's right, but then willing to break that oath because it doesn't mean much to them. When you add corruption into the mix, there is a very, 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 very real chance that Donald Trump is going to prison. And with him, like I said, a significant portion of the Constitution. If and when he is convicted in any one of these trials and is sentenced to prison, I said before, and I meant before, there's no guarantee that he will be allowed to, uh, to, to be outside of a jail cell while, while going through the appellate process. There's a very significant chance that he will be locked up for the duration because of the judges that I'm talking about, the ones that won't give fair trials and changes of venue to the J6 defendants in Washington, D.C., there are judges that will absolutely, because of their own partisanship, put him in jail and keep him there while he, while he hears his appeals, or while his appeals work their way through the system. So that's the first part. People, and, and I think my friend David, who sent me that, that text message, and I think the people that Steve Dace is talking about when he said the branding of Trump is that he is invulnerable, people believe that brand. Um, I, I think they're in for a very, very rude awakening. And then there's the second part. He said by the time his appeal, the appeal process gets all the way through to potentially the Supreme Court, he said the court will have been packed. Now, I'm not willing to go there. Not yet, anyway. They said they wanted to pack the court immediately when they had the first two years of the Biden presidency. Uh, they didn't have anywhere near the support they would need to do so in the Senate because they only had a one one member, uh, you know, uh, uh, majority. And then, of course, when the actually they had a zero member majority, they had a fifty fifty tie with Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker in the first two years of the uh, 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 Biden presidency. And then, of course, after the midterms, now it's just a one one uh, person majority, one senator majority, and they lost the House. I think it would take something pretty extraordinary for them to be able to actually pack the court uh, and increase the number to from 9 to 13 to 15 or whatever it is until they get it packed and have a, a majority of appointees by, by Joe Biden. But the reality of Donald Trump's um, vulnerability here, I guess we'll stick with that word, is something that I think is going to be a shock to a lot of people. Donald Trump could go to prison, and it is conceivable, particularly in the Fulton County case in Georgia, it is conceivable that he could never come out. He'd be 83 when he gets five years past the, uh, uh, you know, the the most recent allegations against him. He'd be 83. Now that being, brings us to this question: If President Trump is tried unfairly, convicted unfairly, and sentenced unfairly. We are all stipulating to the fact that this would not be righteous or right or constitutional or legal because of the real-world job that they are doing. We all know Donald Trump has done nothing that numerous Democrats have not done and gotten away with, whether it's documents in the documents case or or you know challenging election results. Do you remember this? This wasn't that long ago. Remember when? First of all, remember when Tucker was on the air at Fox? Yeah, I do. Uh, this is from 2019. Hillary Clinton has not, as you know, gone gently into that good night. Instead, she spent the past three years on a worldwide excuses tour. Now she stepped up her game. Hillary isn't just telling you that her 2016 defeat wasn't her fault. 
the fault of racists and sexists. Now she's saying she didn't actually lose at all. Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. In the 2016 election, Trump basically said, Russia, if you're listening, you will be richly rewarded if you can find Hillary Clinton's emails. And of course, we know the Russians hacked the DNC, hacked my campaign, etc. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president who got illegitimate foreign help. You remember that, right? You remember how many Democrat electors, when it came time to certify the election results in the states that gave Donald Trump the electoral victory, even though Hillary won the popular vote? You remember what they did, don't you? At least I hope you do. They did exactly what President Trump was asking the electors to do and Mike Pence to do uh, on January 6th of 2021. And that is hold up on the certification of those electors and their votes so we can have at least a 10-day pause, or not at least, a 10-day pause to look into some of these very real questions. Nobody is saying it was all corrupt and it was all fraudulent, but some irregularities led to some legitimate questions that needed to be done, needed to be answered, audits that needed to be conducted of a few very important states that were deciding the future of the country. That's all he did was ask for the same thing that Hillary asked for, the same thing that the Democrats asked for in 2000. Uh, when when Gore lost the contentious uh, battle in Florida, the same thing they asked for in 2004 with Kerry. This is what they do when they lose. No one has ever suggested locking them up. But they're going to try to lock up Donald Trump. And the reality is, again, this is just the kind of the smack in the face, is that they could be successful. Because, number one, when the justice system works, innocent people go to prison. And when the justice system is added to, you know, the the fallible, flawed justice system, it, it adds corruption to it. It, it, it is almost a certainty that, in an innocent, in a, that an innocent person can be convicted and go to prison, and probably will be. So, again, going back now to it begs the question. If this happens, we all lose. The country loses. We're no longer a serious sovereign nation. We are a banana republic that allows political power power brokers, if you will, to jail their political opponents, to manufacture bogus charges, or if they even if, if they even if they are legitimate charges, to embellish them, to make them much much worse or appear much much worse than they are, much more much different than than the same things done by previous individuals. If we allow political power brokers or or elected officials to jail their opponents our country is finished now it doesn't mean it dies tomorrow it doesn't mean it dies next year or the year after that but it sets the table it sets a precedent this is what you do every single thing that a political opponent does that is questionable when it comes to the law even if it's not questionable but we can make a credible case for it with a bunch of, uh, you know, with corruption and with, uh, you know, allegations that are not supported by facts, except for, uh, you know, um, evidence that is not factual. What am I trying to say? Um, uh, circumstantial with circumstantial evidence. In the future, that is what will happen. Threats to the the party in power will be put down by this very same sort of, uh, you know, lawfare is what it's called, warfare on the legal front, lawfare. And that is what we will have. 
So we will no longer have a legitimate republic in which the people can legitimately choose and elect who they want to represent them in the Congress, who they want to represent them in the in the White House. We will no longer have that. That is how serious this is. So that's that's big picture. If Donald Trump goes to prison, our country ceases to be what it is. Ultimately, it's finished. Ultimately, bigger picture down the line, it is finished, as you have known it for your lifetime, and I mine. But then the other question is more immediate. If you are a Trump supporter, or even if you're not a Trump supporter, if you're an America supporter that believes in the rule of law and believes in uh, in, in fairness rather than corruption, we have to make a decision. Will you still vote for Donald Trump if his name is on a ballot and he is has been convicted of a felony in any one of these cases, knowing that he may not be able to serve, knowing that he can't run the country from a cell, will you still do that? Choice A is, hell yes I will, because I'm not going to be complicit in the railroading of an innocent man into prison. I'm not going to play a part in that. I'm not going to give them what they want. I'm not going to let the evil win. I'm not going to vote for somebody else so that they can get what they wanted and prove and reward them for their bad behavior. That's like giving $6 million to the Iranians to to get five American hostages out. That's rewarding their bad behavior for taking hostages. It's giving them what they want. It encourages them to take more hostages. That's an ancillary story, but you understand the point? I'm not going to reward the bad guys for doing bad things. I'm not going to reward them by voting for somebody else other than Trump, which is all they wanted is to get rid of him. So that's choice A. Choice B is having to acknowledge that we've been bamboozled. We've been defeated. We've been um, outmaneuvered, we've been cheated, we've been robbed, and now we have to find a way to pick up the pieces and move forward. We, if you think it, it lets them win by, by not voting for Trump, what do you think it is if you vote for Trump and he can't serve and they automatically get the next president? Another four of Biden? Or four or eight of Kamala? Or four or eight of Gavin? Or whatever the hell plans that they have with Michelle Obama? That would be letting them win. So your choices are A, vote for and support Trump anyway because I refuse to allow them to do this. Or B, acknowledge that they were successful in their evil plan. And pick somebody else in the hopes of righting the wrong, in the hopes of putting a different Republican in office, one who will indeed pardon President Trump the moment he takes over January 20th of 2025. Somebody who will get him out of prison. It won't won't change his fortunes politically, but it will allow us to make sure that a man does not die in prison over bogus charges that were put forth by radical, extremist, corrupt prosecutors and politicians. So that's the case. That's the story. That's the reality. That's what Steve Dace is trying to make you aware of, and, and now I'm trying to do it. 
at its best, our criminal justice system <laughs> is uh, is flawed. At its worst, our criminal justice system is corrupt and abusive and able to destroy everything that our Constitution promises us when it's at its worst. This, my friends, with Donald Trump, is going to be our justice system at its worst, and Donald Trump is going to be its victim. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Stay here. Dial me up on AM 1420 The Answer. Nine fifty-five. We've got plenty of time for calls. If you don't get on before the top of the hour break, uh, do not fret. We are guest-free in the uh, sec, the first half hour of the ten o'clock hour as well. Before we have our first guest at ten thirty-five. So if you don't get on now, stay on the hold. We'll get to you right after the top of the hour news. We're going to go to Todd, who's been waiting uh, in South Euclid first on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Todd. Thanks for your patience. I appreciate that. Go right ahead, Bob. What you're talking about <laughs> is what would we find in a fascist state? That dear leader can do no wrong. You're already saying all these indictments, all these charges are bogus. He's innocent. That's why we have a a judicial system where he goes to trial. And the reason he doesn't want to go to Georgia is he can't be pardoned by a Republican president or whatever. But you are saying that people are shocked he could go to jail. That's because Newsmax and Fox News and people like yourself basically say Trump did no wrong. Well, How you, you, you say that he hasn't even been tried yet. The Maybe fact that the fact that he had, the fact that he has been indicted in such corrupt fashions in each of these cases is why we say that. The indictments themselves are are things that have never happened before for a pre, for for first of all for form like this before it's all unprecedented you're exactly right we have never had a president hold on todd we have never had a president before who has been treated like this from the day he announced his candidacy in june of 2015 the witch hunt as it's been called is real the the bogus investigation into his campaign by the uh, uh the Clinton campaign through the FISA court getting that ridiculous uh warrant to spy on the Trump campaign hold on I know what are you saying what are you saying no i'm saying you everything the steel dossier and everything yeah. else poor donald trump he's a victim but How is hold on, Todd? Before you say such things so dismissively, how is he not? The Hillary Clinton campaign actually gave the bogus information to the FISA court to spy on their opponent. And then, when he won, they kept spying while he was president and then claimed that he was a Russian asset, launching a two and a half year investigation of, of, of the Trump presidency by, 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 by Robert Mueller. That was that was unprecedented in American history. That turned up exactly what it should turn up, Todd, which was nothing. That was the start. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You say poor Donald Trump, poor Donald Trump. Hell yes, poor Donald Trump. No one else has ever had that done. And then two ridiculous impeachments. One after, for crying out loud, he was gone from the presidency. 
Well, again, something that has never happened before with the so express intent of making sure he running. never, with the express intent of making sure he could never run for president again. Todd, all of this is unprecedented, which is why these indictments, which have never been filed before against anybody, you say, let's go, there's never been a president like this. You're right. Never been a president that the left is so ungodly terrified of. I'm terrified. I want him to run. <clears throat> I want him to run so people like you will lose in next November. He will not People be like re-elected. me. What is a people what is a people like me, Todd? Fascist. You're a fascist. I'm a fascist. Tell me what fascism is, Todd. And tell me how it applies to me. Go ahead. Fascism is undying love of a of a single figure, and that's what you have. That Donald, is that that you you, you obviously you, you obviously you obviously don't listen to my show. You think that I say Donald Trump can do no wrong? Have you listened to me over the last six years, seven years now? I have been one of Donald Trump's most... You said, Donald, don't look backwards. Let's look forward. I thought you were going to come out of your shell or your bubble. You haven't. No, well, that's because I'm not in a bubble, Todd. It's just that left-wing radicals like you, and I thank you for the phone call, have no earthly idea... What is being done to this guy that is unprecedented without any cause whatsoever? But I have been one of Donald Trump's most staunch critics on a number of matters, a number of them that piss off Trump's strongest supporters. I am the furthest thing from a hero worshiper or a fascist uh, who's, who's always supportive of one person. You have no idea what you're talking about, and you have no idea what fascism is. You are grabbing onto one of the left-wing buzzwords because you have nothing else to grab onto. I'll be back. For our children, this the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Okay, eight minutes after 10 o'clock, hour number two is underway. It's the uh, 16th morning of the eighth month year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, it's a Wednesday coming up in about a half an hour. We're going to talk to Dr. Kerry Grass coming up in an hour. We're going to talk to Jack Windsor. And uh, right now we're going to talk to you at 216-901-0945. Or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. By the way, to continue a little bit of the response to the last caller, Todd, who's a lefty who thinks that anybody who supports Donald Trump is a fascist because, well, they're too stupid to come up with cogent arguments, uh, and so they just grab onto buzzwords. If you are a Trump supporter or if you are a conservative, that makes you a fascist. Um, they have no earthly idea what the definition of the word is. They have no idea what it really means. They certainly don't know how to apply it, and they certainly don't know to whom it would apply, even if they did understand it, but that's what they do. That's why Antifa exists. Antifa, which is communist legitimately in its origins, uh, Antifa stands for anti-fascist. The reality is fascism and communism are very, very close to one another uh in terms of dictatorial leadership and uh and 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 oppression of the of the masses but anyway just to quickly respond he said you know of course all of these things are 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 wrong and all of these 
allegations of Trump are, are wrong because he's innocent. How do you know? And they haven't even had the trial. The fact that he's on trial for these things in, in, and that they waited to file all of these indictments, all of them, till the, till the presidential election season started, Every one of these things that they're, they're quote unquote, you know, indicting. Well, they're quote unquote. It isn't everything that they're indicting him for. All of these things that they're claiming that they now must act upon. They could have done any time in the last three years. They waited until election season so they could interfere with the election. They could have filed these indictments in 2021. They could have filed them in 2022. They could have filed them eight months ago of 2023. They waited until the summer of 2023 because it's election season. There's debates next week for crying out loud. They did this so that they could interfere with the election. If you don't know that that means it's a political prosecution and not a legitimate prosecution, you're too stupid for words. And I'm sorry. If that applies to you, own it. If it doesn't, ignore it. But if you're a leftist who doesn't see that this is political persecution and not criminal prosecution, then you're too stupid to, to understand anything that we're talking about. And I don't mean to be, you know, using pejoratives like that, and I don't certainly not mean to be insulting, at least not all the time. Sometimes I want to be insulting when people deserve to be insulted. But, but legitimately, if, if you're a leftist who doesn't understand that, that applies to you. If you do understand it, yeah, I know this is political. I know they waited to this point in time for a reason. And I know that the things he's being accused of, almost all of them, almost all of them, with the exception of the Manhattan case, which still doesn't rise to the level of prosecution. It's the kind of thing that would have been hammered out in, a, in, a, in an agreement uh, without any prosecution or criminality being brought in with anybody else. But the reality is that if you're a leftist who knows that this is political, but you still are supporting it anyway and enjoying it because it helps your side, well, then you're not stupid. You're just, you know, corrupt. <laughs> I mean, you're one or the other. But but evidence of this is the fact that they waited until now. And evidence of this is the fact that there are countless other examples of other prominent elected officials who have done similar things that have never been charged or indicted and threatened with over 700 years of prison. And this guy calls me yesterday, calls me last call. Well, it's because there's never been a president like this. There's never been somebody who's been so bad and so evil and so corrupt and so criminal. That's why this has never been done before. No, you judged him to be all of those things in June of 2015. When he announced his candidacy, he became public enemy number one. And they started doing so many things to him that have never been done to a candidate before much less a president before. And now, in order to make your prophecies self-fulfilling, you've got to put him in prison. And you say, oh, I'm a fascist because I'm just a Trump-can-do-no-wrong guy. Have you heard me? I think Operation Warp Speed was a disaster. I think Donald Trump supporting lockdowns nationally and letting Dr. Fauci establish policy was a disaster. I think Donald Trump today continuing to defend Operation Warp Speed and the vaccines, the poison darts that I think are more dangerous than they ever could have been good, he still defends them despite just copious amounts of evidence showing how bad they were. I think that's a huge mistake. I think Donald Trump treating Ron DeSantis like he's worse than Democrat Andrew Cuomo 
Democrat Charlie Crist essentially just just savaging a strong conservative voice and leader that he absolutely supported before he decided he was going to run for president. And now it's how dare you challenge my throne. How dare you seek to take my crown off of my head. I am the king of this Republican Party. I don't care how popular you got in Florida. Do you remember when Donald Trump endorsed Ron DeSantis for governor of Florida? DeSantis won by barely 1%. But then DeSantis governed for four years, free of Donald Trump. And in four years, did so many remarkable things, he won by 19 points. Are you kidding? He won Dade County as a Republican for the first time in, what, six, seven decades? Ron DeSantis got very, very popular because he's very, very good, and very, very conservative, and very, very much his own man, and Donald Trump hated that, and I criticized Donald Trump for doing so. There's a way to run for president against a rival without turning into what whatever Trump turned into to declare Ron DeSantis worse than Democrats. I don't like that at all. So if you think I'm hero-worshipping on Donald Trump because I'm defending him to the hilt over this ridiculous political prosecution, political persecution, then you're too stupid for words. And yes, that might mean my last caller. And I apologize not for that, but there is so much evidence of what makes these prosecutions political and not legitimate. And if you deny them, you just are, you know, it's, you're the, you're the exa- it's projection. You are what you accuse others of being. Your hatred for Trump is so much deeper than even the most ardent MAGA fans' love of Trump. It's Trump derangement. It really is. It's become kind of a catchphrase, TDS, Trump derangement syndrome, and it kind of gets glossed over. But it's real. There is a Trump derangement syndrome where it drives otherwise ordinarily reasonable people into unreasonable, radical extremist ends. It's really, really hard to understand. Okay, Yanina, uh, let's go to the phones. Yanina, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting. Go right ahead. Yes, yes, Bob. You're absolutely right. It is Trump derangement. You know, and it all started the minute Trump stepped on the, on the steps on the White House. Everything was planned, planned, planned. Benghazi, Benghazi, it's Obama and Hillary joint venture, right? Christopher Stevens died because of Benghazi. Because they could help him. I don't want to take too long time to explain to you. Hillary was supposed to be, Obama and Hillary were planning to have Hillary to be a president. It didn't work. But Christopher Stevens died for nothing because Obama said, stand down, stand down, stand down. Why we lost so many people in Afghanistan? We lost so many people in Afghanistan because Biden is not doing anything. He's just following what Obama tells him. East Palestine, now in Hawaii, when he was on vacation, in Hawaii, instead of helping those people like East Palestine, in Hawaii, Biden says, oh, it's a global warming. What do you mean global warming? When something happened in East Palestine, who came to help? Trump. Trump came to help. They're just fighting, fighting, fighting against him all the time, nonstop. They had a wire in the White House. Listen, this is communism. You know, in, in Russia, we have a, you know, Putin communism. In Obama, in America, we, we have Obama communism. Communists came from another country to America. And this is just not stopped. And global warming, it's everything, everything absolutely prepared for many, many, many years. Now it's revenge for 
from prevent non-stop all the time. And they're doing so many things, so many people. Trump is the best. I am very loyal supporter for Trump, and I work for Trump no matter what somebody is going to say. You know, it's time for us to be not the defense. We have to be on, okay, we have to be on the offense. And we have to protect our country because we don't need Obama transform, fundamentally transform America. They're destroying everything that we have. Everything that's dear to this country, they're destroying. It's all political, 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 and nothing else. Because they were building this plan. It was pre-planned for many, many years. From 2016, they were planning to destroy. I even know that Obama was really, really nervous. And he knew that Trump is very popular. And I do not know if Obama wants to move Biden by the ear like he did the same thing for federal. You remember federal when they put him in, in the, you know, Pennsylvania. This is unbelievable. They don't want to give up. So we should no. not give up, too. I am from well, Ukraine. and I, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. You know, I wanted to jump in here because I want to respond to a little bit of what you said, and I thank you so much for your phone Go ahead. Call. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm ready to listen. Yeah, thank you. Just keep listening, Yanina. Thank you so much for the call. I appreciate you. Um, so, so much of what you said is true. Um, and, and going, you know, we could go all the way back to Benghazi and talk about Christopher Stevens and all of the others who died and the decisions that were made. You did say by Obama, uh, told him to stand down. It was more of Hillary Clinton, the State Department, who turned down multiple requests for more security, uh, there. She, as much as Obama owned at Benghazi, um, and and that's that's reality, and I think that hurt her severely in the 2016 campaign. She wanted to call that Russian disinformation or uh, Trump being a Russian asset and so on and so forth. The reality is she was an awful, awful, unlikable, hideously, un, uh, uh, not, not unqualified because she was a successful politician, being Secretary of State, being Senator and so forth, but she was uh, uh, just completely unelectable. Um, so, but But the bigger picture here is, we'll go back to Obama since you brought him up, and go back to 2016. In fact, we can go back to 2008 and 2012 when Obama was running. He had a vision that I think he is still carrying out today in 2023. The vision of the socialist remaking of America, the destruction of the capitalist system, the destruction of the republic, you know, you know, the constitutional republic that we are in favor of political elites, essentially uh, running roughshod over what is what would be a socialist, almost Marxist country. He called it the fundamental transformation of America. And I've said this many, many times, and I don't want to uh, understate it because it is this serious, serious. You don't fundamentally transform that which you like or love. You transform or change things that you don't like. The Republic had worked for 230-odd years before Barack Obama came as a constitutional republic, as a capitalist economy and a capitalist system of government. He wanted to fundamentally change that because he did not like any of the above. Those who wished, and he wasn't alone, of course, he but he was chosen as the leader to make this happen with his charisma of course his uh, his bulletproof black skin certainly helped him remember he was america's first black president when the reality is he was america's first biracial president he had a white parent and a black parent but only the 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 uh, his uh, his his african american heritage his black heritage was ever talked about because when you criticized him 
it deflected criticism from him. If you say anything negative about Barack Obama, it's because you don't want a black president. You don't like the idea of a black man leading the country. So he was chosen as the messenger of all of this, and he outlined the fundamental changing of something he didn't like. I've I've made this comparison before too. If you ever meet a if you have you ever met a woman, fallen in love with her, and and uh, you know dated her for a long time, and then said I want to marry you, and then said by the way once we get married I want to fundamentally change you into something else. Does that ever happen? No, you don't want to fundamentally change that which you love. Barack Obama and his Marxist Soros led minions. Um, all wanted to fundamentally and still want to fundamentally change this country from what it what it has been to what they envision. <clears throat> it was supposed to continue in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. That's why they were willing to take the steps they were to stop Donald Trump, who became a political uh, tour de force when he won the nomination or when he started steamrolling through the primaries. He became a massive, uh, you know. Um, force that they did not expect to have to contend with, which is why they're going to find a way to stop him. His popularity was so good, his populism was so high, they had to find a way. They knew they were in serious trouble, which is why they started spying on him illegally and planting this ridiculous Russian asset uh, story that led to that massive investigation uh, when he was still, you know, right when he became the nominee, once they realized who he was and what he was becoming. So Hillary Clinton was supposed to carry on what Obama had started on this transformation. She was supposed to do it for eight years. And by the time 16 consecutive years of Democrat rule and leftist Marxist policies started started being put into place, it would be too late to, to turn it around. I promise you that if Hillary Clinton had won in 2016 and was now working on her second term, which would mean 16 uninterrupted years, of leftist, Marxist, socialist, communist policies, we would have already a packed court. I guarantee you we'd have a packed court by now. And Hillary would have appointed five or six or seven justices to give them the number that they need. I promise you, Donald Trump's election saved us from all of that. They don't want it to be a permanent saving. They want it to be a temporary bump in the road, which is what they're trying to treat him as, which is what they're trying to make sure is the case. Make sure that guy can never get back in there and do four more years of of, um, damage to the mission that we had set forth. And they were successful, in my view, of the theft of the 2020 election to make sure that he couldn't have eight years of of strong pro-America first policies, not the globalist that the uh, globalism that the Obamas and the Clintons of this country wanted to wanted to turn us into. They had to stop him, and they did. And now the mission started by Obama and their globalist allies continues under Joe Biden. I mean, what that you have seen in three years under Joe Biden would you say is America first? And I don't mean as in conservative. I mean just putting the United States ahead of the interests of the rest of the world. Maui burned. Joe Biden, when asked about it, said no comment. Maui burned, and I saw a report on TV this morning where the local officials there are just frantic. What do we do? The only resources we have been given to help the people here who suffered this have been raised locally. We need federal help, and we need it now. Barack Obama has not come forward. The report I saw this morning, or excuse me, Joe Biden has not come forward. The report I saw on TV this morning said they're offering $700 per family 
to help them rebuild. Comes to about $1.8 million of federal uh, offering. Meanwhile, Biden has sent over $140 billion to Ukraine. I'm not suggesting we need to be completely indifferent toward Ukraine and the threat of Russia, but are you kidding me? $140 billion to Ukraine, $1 million to the people of Maui? It's the opposite of America first. It is global interests first, America last under the Democrat rule. That's why they're so terrified of Donald Trump, and that's why they are doing everything they can to put him in prison and make sure they never have to deal with him again. I am not a Trump-supporting hero worshiper. I am a law-supporting constitutional worshiper. That's what I support. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1035. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. We'll get back to phone calls in a bit. We're going to talk more about the presidency. We're going to talk more about the indictments. But we're going to shift gears just a little bit now and talk about women. And uh, I want to talk about the attack on women. Did you see the latest uh, A Canadian powerlifter or weightlifter just broke the women's all-time record? Uh, I don't remember exactly in what event, but just broke the all-time record, which would be something worthy of applause. Great accomplishment. Women doing phenomenal things in athletic competition is a great thing. The problem is that record was broken by a man, a biological man, who is doing his part to erase women. And sadly, he is being embraced by some women because he says he's a she. And trans women are real women. It is a part of the, it's the question of where are the feminists <clears throat> when it comes to defending actual attacks on women? Where are the feminists? Why aren't they speaking out? Why aren't they leading the way? Why are so many of them staying silent or actually applauding and saying, yes, the woke thing to do is the right thing to do, and that is to support uh, trans women are real women? It's just one of the many questions that we're going to talk about now with Dr. Carrie Gress, who's got a new book out called The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. I think it's pretty doggone accurate, to be quite frank. Dr. Gress, good to have you on the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this is uh, this is quite a quite a topic that you've undertaken with your latest book here, and I also read portions of your um, your op-ed on this question. And what do you think of when you see so many women embracing what is ultimately the attack on the the actual identity, the sex, the biological sex of women? Yeah, well, I I having studied this, you know, all the way back to the earliest bit of feminism. Um, I just see it as an extension of the ideology that started a couple hundred years ago. And, um, you know, they've told us along the way, this is what they're doing. They want to get rid of gender altogether. And, um, you know, really, women have, the idealized woman is actually much more like a man than a woman. And this is really the the snowball that we've seen over the last couple of centuries. And it's just kind of finally coming to a head. Um, so yeah, it shouldn't surprise us that, that this is happening because this has been the stated goal for many, many years. Um, but the, the tragedy is just to see how it's affecting so many women in so many dramatic ways. And also that there are actually women that support this, that think this is, is a good thing that if a man has the feelings of a woman, he, well, he must be a woman. So yeah, I think it's, um, it's an ideology that we're finally seeing that, the, the underbelly of it, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how we respond. Do we keep holding it up as something good, or do we 
start really saying like this this has got to stop are we have we already seen the peak of the insanity or is it still to come yeah i um i think that's a good question i think a lot of it depends on what uh what we keep where we keep putting our money really i mean, i think this is the amazing thing about the bud light situation is that's a boycott that has actually stuck and done something. You know, over the years we've seen smaller ones. Um, the fact that so many of us aren't shopping at Target anymore <laughs> um, also says a lot of things. And I think corporate media, or corporate corporations in general, are going to start paying attention in ways that they never have before. You know, that they they always were continuing to push the envelope, and now they're going to start questioning. Like maybe this is a bit too far, and maybe we have seen the peak of it. We'll see. You know, the corporations um, are one thing. Uh, I, I, I'm, of course, concerned about that, and I'm glad to see the Bud Light push back. I'm glad to see Target. I just saw a new headline about that this morning. Target's uh, sales slumped 5.6% after a year after, in the same period, growing by 2.5%. So those numbers don't sound large, but when you're talking about the mass, uh, uh, you know, dollars that, uh, the massive amount of dollars that this company uh, transacts over the course of a calendar year, we're talking billions. Um, so yeah. I'm glad to see that on the corporate level. But what I'm more worried about when I ask as far as the peak insanity, the, you know, the transing of America and this embracing of trans women as real women and the woman facing, if you will, of, uh, you know, of, of, of men, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm more worried about it at the educational level and at the political level. Yeah. Um, the embracing of this and pushing it on our children is much more dangerous than even having it pushed on, you know, on us through retail stores uh, and products. Yeah. Um, where do you think yeah. we are on that process and the the inclusivity mm-hmm. of making sure that every child that feels like something different than what their mm-hmm. body says that they are mm-hmm. that uh, that that has to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a huge problem as well, and just the, the saddest part, because, of course, children are going to go where they feel the love, and this is what they're getting from influencers and from schools and from teaching. You know, they're just, it's being foisted upon them in really unhealthy ways. Um, and this is a piece I, I just wrote about in Fox, uh, in op-ed, was this idea that women are actually, and moms are actually starting to really pay attention, and that I think that this is sort of, uh, you know, the wild card in, in politics is really to see that what moms have done in the past. I know Bill Schlafly led the Eagle um, form to get, you know, stop ERA. And so I think there's probably a similar fear that moms are really starting to pay attention. They're getting involved on school boards and they're getting in, involved in politics in ways that they didn't feel like either they had a platform or they just hadn't, didn't have this fierce conviction that they needed to be involved in. And of course we see that that there's getting they're getting pushed we're getting pushback from um you know the department of justice and uh, it's being named you know radical radicalized or domestic terrorists i think that's the title yeah um so anyway we know we're over the mark when you start getting that that kind of uh of name so i think that there's some some hope there but um yeah it's just incredible to see how deeply the indoctrination has you know, really infiltrated our schools and academia, you know, all of these different institutions that we have. Um, but the pushback has to come from somewhere. And I think um, parents in particular are, are at the front of that right now, which is great to see. Yeah, they they have to be. We're talking with uh, Dr. Carrie Grass. She is a doctor of of is a doctor of philosophy. She's also a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington D.C. and a scholar at the Institute for Human Ecology at the Catholic University of America. Her latest book is "The End of Woman: How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us." Talk about that part of this. Talk about the patriarchy and the attack on what many call uh, toxic masculinity as well. 
it's supposed to be something that is, uh, you know, uplifting of women and of feminism, but it hasn't worked out that way. Tell us about the patriarchy. Yeah. Well, I think the best example of it is to see the new Barbie movie and to see the, the way that the men are treated in that film. You've got, uh, you know, Barbie, all the Barbies reign, and then the Ken and his friends get some ideas about, you know, they're taking over, they take over, things are disaster, and, you know, the women have to suppress the men so that they can be in charge and everything goes back to being peaceful again. You know, this is kind of the narrative that has been foisted upon us for a very, very long time. The problem, of course, is that you can't actually build a civilization when, you know, half half the population resents or, you know, devalues the other half of the population. And then out of that comes resentment and, you know, all this drama. So well, what's really been happening is just this crumbling of the family, crumbling of the relationships between men and women. And really this, you know, you can see the power aspect of it, that this is really about control and power uh, because of the fact that men now just have to be quiet on this issue. You know, they're not allowed to have an opinion about it at all. Um, so, yeah, I think this is the, the real problem is that, that feminism has done an amazing job of marketing itself. And we can see that again with uh, with a Barbie film and, you know, dressing it up with some nostalgia, a few tender moments, a lot of pink, and um, and this appearance of being really fun. And that's how they've been selling it to us for a very long time. And this is just the latest iteration of it. So it's incredibly sad that we're we're still at this, you know, square one where we have to start recognizing the incredible gifts that men have and bring to us and just the importance of the nuclear family and, you know, what this has done to it um, is, is something that I think will be, you know, talked about historically for, for centuries, really. I'm going to ask you about another movie in a moment, uh, which is right right over the target as well. But I want to go back to what you just said about the nuclear family and the attack and the destruction of the nuclear family. To what end? How 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 does this smashing of the nuclear family aid or assist or help or give power to women? Or and obviously what we're talking about right now, um, how does it serve to actually how does it serve to actually undercut the growth of women? Yeah, and that's the the big question. I mean, we're, in answering that, you have to go all the way back to the early part of the 1900s and look at Marxism. Um, but really, it was just this idea of the revolution. You know, they've been selling us on this idea of this utopia. It's going to come from Marxism somehow or some way, and um, this is what we're being told over and over and over again. You know, men are the oppressors, women are the victims, and once this is sorted out, everything is going to be great. The problem is, is that so many people believe this sort of unwittingly. They just have been told that this is a good thing to which we should be striving for, um, but it's it's not getting us there. In fact, if you look at the, any kind of statistics about women, women are actually much less happy than they were. Um, you know, even 20 years ago or 30 years ago, um, that suicide, depression, um, substance abuse, you know, divorce numbers, all of these things are pointing to some very unhappy women. Um, and that, of course, is not, you know, making headlines either. It's sort of more like you just need more of it and then we'll be, women will get happier. <laughs> no, that's the idea that we keep hearing, which is, of course, an old Marxist trope. So I'm... anyway, yeah, I think it's incredibly tragic what we're, we're, seeing with women and how this isn't going anywhere there's there's no end in sight yeah, um, I agree with that. We're talking with Carrie Gress. She is the author uh, of a very important book, in my view, because it literally is what we are talking about on a daily basis across this country, and that is the end of womanhood, the the erasure of women as an identity, and quite frankly, as a sex. If you can identify yourself as being one, then what does that make a real woman? It's called The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. I want to play a little clip for you here, and that actually just bleeped a moment ago. 
because uh, you mentioned the Barbie movie, and I want to get your thoughts on the Snow White movie that is on its way. This is the star of the movie. This is Snow White. Her name is Rachel Zegler, and she has drawn an awful lot of, um, let's say, conversation, before we say criticism, about her take on what the Snow White movie that they are making should be all about. Let's I mean, you know, the, the original cartoon came out in 1937, and very evidently so. <laughs> um, there is a big focus on her love story. Um, with a guy who literally stalks her. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Weird. Super weird. So we didn't do that this time. <laughs> so, no, so no prince? Or- so the belief here, according to uh, a lot of observers who have heard her make similar comments, the idea of p- making the male lead character in the story of the prince, who supposedly in the original story awakens her with true love's first kiss, um, he's a creepy stalker. Uh, it's an it's it's an attempt again to attack men, to attack masculinity, to promote. There's nothing wrong with promoting women, but does this actually promote women when it demonizes males? Yeah, no, and that's the big myth is this just this idea that women can live in you know as independent women, and that their ha- their lives are going to be fulfilled and happy. And I think this is the, the real tragedy is women are waking up to this and saying, you know, I did everything that they told me to do and look at where my life is. This is not what I expected. I didn't expect to be alone at 60 years old. And, you know, that, that's kind of how it plays out. Um, but yeah, that's the, the really sad thing is just, again, you can see the, the man's an oaf. He's been stalking her. You know, this is horrible thing to do. And she, you know, rightfully doesn't need him. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just incredible how, how far things have gone where you know even something like romance can be so belittled and seen as you know so unnecessary i, I guess that's, a, that's what they keep coming back to is you know that glorious dynamite idea of a woman needs a man like a, a, a fish needs a bicycle um just this idea that men are are totally useless in in the culture and we just don't need them yeah it, it's it's really uh, it's such a dangerous mentality um so so let's talk a little bit more about the transing aspect of everything here, because I, what I asked you about and I talked about is the male uh, who thinks he's a female or says he's a female and then goes on and breaks records and so forth. Um, and I think the, the, the male to female transing is a little more shocking to people to see when men wear yeah. wigs and lipstick and so forth. But the overwhelming number of transing or trans transitioners in this country and I think around the world are the other way around. It's women wanting to become men, particularly young teenage girls who are, I think, very clearly victims of, you know, this um uh, this social contagion and this, you know, this peer pressure. It's kind of like anorexia from 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Everybody doing yeah. what one another does. They pressure themselves and they're going en masse, groups of them into the clinics to get their puberty blockers and their cross-sex mm-hmm. hormones together. Um, how dangerous is that literally for thousands, if not maybe over time, millions of young girls yeah. saying, I'm going to be male? I mean, that's clearly a, a, not, not something that's good for feminism or for women in general. Yeah. No, I think it's just amazing to look at it because this is, they're not just dabbling in something. This isn't nail polish. This is something that is dramatically going to affect their entire life moving forward in terms of fertility and all of those kinds of questions. But I think I also understand it, you know, because we, we have made, you know, we've idolized the masculine. We haven't said a good thing about being a woman for 50 years. And so these girls are like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this body. I don't want to deal with all of this stuff. It's much easier to be a man. And so that's what's what's really driving it. Again, that they're getting a lot of affirmations from influencers, so much pressure in, in many different respects. And they're getting a lot of 
positive attention. You know, Abigail Schreier talks a lot about in her book, Irreparable Damage, how the, a lot of these girls are kind of were the sideline girls that were sort of, they were really bright, maybe on, on the spectrum somewhere of autism, um, but they did, were sort of ignored or the awkward girls. And suddenly, you know, they're taking testosterone and they become like the center of the universe, really. Um, so, yeah, it's it's amazing to watch it happen in real time, but at the same time, it's just so incredibly tragic because you know where are these people going to be when they're 20 30 years down the road and just looking back saying why did anybody ever let me do this why why couldn't i've just gone through adolescence like a normal person and allowed these things to play themselves out instead of taking such dramatic drastic measures yeah you know these uh, these these young women who do that and, and men too but i think some so many of these people who go through with the transition and they're young you know in their late teens or in their in their early 20s they're experiencing that extraordinary re- regret and who are they looking to point the finger of blame at and accurately so it's the adults in their lives that failed them the adults that that yeah. failed to explain yeah. to them what you're going through right now any confusion you might have whether it be from within or from without from social media influencers from some teachers who are pushing new pronouns and new identities upon them those individuals yeah. are the ones that that are serving to ruin these kids lives and they're absolutely mm-hmm. irreversible what they are doing uh, and no amount of regret um, you know is, is going to change what they did and um, and it's the adults in their lives that need to step up for them when they're in their vulnerable moments as confused teens or kids. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm going to close with this, Carrie. We're talking to Carrie Gress again. She's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington. She's the author of The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us, Meaning Women. If you had an auditorium filled with uh, preteen and teenage girls right now, um, Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to them? What would your message be so that they can try to start the reversal of this course? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the big message, uh, obviously, it's a st- hard to deliver in a soundbite, is just to really let them know how much they have been brainwashed into believing something that's just not true about them and that their ultimate happiness is never going to be in trying to change our human nature. Um, it's, it's our, our joy is really, it's already built in and we just need to rediscover it. I think that's very well said. It's a good message. And I, and I certainly hope the other message is to all of those girls, um, stop viewing your male counterparts, friends, uh, people yeah. in your lives as yeah. being the enemy, as being, you know, somebody that you yeah. have to avoid or somebody you have to overcome. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's that unity, uh, that, that built the family, of course, with strong fathers and strong mothers and, and uh, respectful mm-hmm. children that, of course, gave us what we have here in this great civilization that's now in danger. So, um, absolutely. Such an absolutely. important message. Well said. The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us by Dr. Carrie Gress. Uh, Carrie, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate you coming on and sounding this very, very important alarm. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Right, God bless you. 10.53. We'll take a time out here. i got time maybe for some calls before the top of the hour. After the top of the hour, Jack Windsor will stop by, and we've got a lot to talk about in the state of Ohio. Stay here on Always Right Radio. Okay, 1056, let's get a call or two in here before the top of the hour. John in Cleveland is up first. John, thanks for your patience. Go right ahead. Yes, uh, I, I'd i like to say that I appreciate that gentleman that, that you talked to that was, was disagreeing with you and is a, apparently a liberal leftist. And the reason I say that is because we need to, if, for example, if Trump's going to win, he's going to have to get 
more people and we need to reach out to people and so you know insulting them and stuff like that is is not the it's not the way to go uh, and it seems to me that so conservatives are listening to conservative media almost only liberals and leftists are listening to liberal leftist things only nobody's talking to each other and when they talk to each other they're not talking to each other we're talking at each other mm-hmm. which is not a good thing and that's what i heard and i thought oh, this is not good because i i for my my i'm a conservative and i appreciate that gentleman listening i do too and that's a great point you make and thank you for the call john um that's kind of what i why i said to him when he called me a fascist tell me what that means now tell me how that applies to me and his only answer was you support trump you're making excuses for Trump. Well, then clearly we need to talk more because you don't understand what fascism is. You also don't know who you're talking to because I have supported Trump when Trump is the right person to support, and I have condemned and criticized Trump when Trump has done things worthy of criticism. I have also expressed a strong desire for another person to lead this party and the conservative movement going forward if Donald Trump can't win the general. If Donald Trump can't pull more people in from the middle, he's going to lose in 2024 if he is our nominee. So I have talked about the need for either him reaching out to more in the middle and getting more people in under the tent or somebody else having to carry the banner. Uh, so you, this guy doesn't, you know, he, he listened, but he doesn't listen enough because he certainly made prejudgments about me and about my attitudes toward these things when he decided to call me a fascist. But I agree with you. And I always open the phone lines to leftists. Anybody who is a liberal that wants to have a discussion with me, as long as you bring more to the table than fascist, uh, you know, because I don't just say communist and hang up. I say communist, and here's why, or socialist or, or Marxist, or whatever the particular ins, uh, 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 more accurate uh, description is of that particular argument, and we'll do that discussion. Uh, Alan in uh, Westlake. Hi, Alan. Go right ahead. Alan, are you there? Uh, I'm here. Gotcha. Finally. Yeah, I got you now. Yeah, I, I was just, you know, I think very discouraging message about uh, the end of women, but there are some groups, some grassroots of hope around this whole DEI, um, you know, inclusion moment that movement that's going on in universities. Uh, recently, I read that. Um, the staffer and the uh, new dean that were promoting this diversity at uh, Texas A&M. Uh, once this was discovered by the alumni. Alan, did, Alan, let me interrupt you here because I want to hear the rest of what you have to say, but I don't have time for it right now. I want you to call me back after my conversation with Jack Windsor because this is an important discussion you are about to touch on. We'll be back. All right. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I, 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway. It's nine minutes past 11 o'clock. It's been a great, very emotional show, I think, so far today. Callers, really great guests, uh, and just a lot of information. I started with Steve Dace this morning when I read that uh, Steve Dace post. Um, There's a wake-up call there for a lot of us. There really is. So many people just seem to have this belief and this feeling that justice will triumph, that right will win, and that Donald Trump being indicted on all of these bogus, uh, uh, you know, uh, accounts in four different locations, you know, he'll get past it. I mean, he's Donald Trump. He always comes out on top. They impeached him twice. He stayed in office. They ran that ridiculous uh, 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 Mueller investigation for two and a half years, found nothing. I mean, he'll win. Steve Dace gave a real, real strong wake-up call there. He may not. And that's not because he's guilty, but because the circumstances that they have surrounded this with make it very, very difficult for him to get out of. They may be successful in railroading that guy into prison, and it would be railroading. And how are we going to react to that? What are we going to do as a country? Will we remain a country? It's a lot of important stuff. If you missed it, podcast will be up about an hour after the show. WHKradio.com is where you will find that, WHKradio.com, about an hour after the show. If you missed the opening monologue and the opening, really the first hour, hour and a half of conversation on this, I think you're going to want to check that out. Uh, Let's move forward, though, and bring it current. It's Wednesday. It's 11-11 now, and you know what that means? That means it's time to talk to our good friend Jack Windsor and his crowd of fans, Jack and crew. Good to have you aboard, all of you. All right, keep it down a little bit. Can we let's let's let let's let let us hear your guy here, Jack Windsor, the founder and the editor in chief of the Ohio Press Network, online at theohiopressnetwork.com. Jack, good morning. How are you, buddy? Bob, I'm super fantastic. Thanks for choosing me today. It's, it's great to be here with you and the listeners. It's good to have you. We got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of things to talk yeah. about in the state of Ohio, Jack. And we're going to start with issue number one. It's defeat and what it means for the issue that is going to be on the uh, ballot in November, on November 7th, the, the amendment to the Ohio Constitution to allow radical abortion, uh, unrestricted abortion on demand and potentially transing of children without parental consent. Jack, you did on your uh, radio program you do down in Columbus an interview with a constitutional law expert discussing this, and I know you, uh, you've you got a lot you want to share with our audience about what you learned there. Is this sweeping language of that amendment that's, that we're all going to vote on in November, is it vague enough and broad enough for those things to be reality? Unrestricted abortion on demand and parental rights stripped away from kids who want to transition. Yeah, so it first, the first question you asked about the issue one, uh, failing, that makes it, it simply makes it easier now for the Constitution to be amended. And it makes it easier for people who create half-true messaging and do a good job of funding it, financing it, pushing it. And, uh, you know, in case people aren't paying attention, the, the press is on board lock, stock, and barrel. So we're now looking down the barrel of a November uh, ballot initiative. So November 7th, Ohioans will get to vote. And uh, it's really being passed off by proponents as an abortion rights amendment. 
And, you know, by the way, when they were getting petition signatures, there were a lot of tactics used. But one of them was, hey, this is just going to protect your right to to choose. And and that's really how it's going to be teed up. This is this is simply about respecting women, about respecting their reproductive health. Well, as you mentioned, I had a conversation with a constitutional lawyer and uh, we read on air the language of the proposed amendment. And as the attorney said, uh, just the, the plain reading of it, it uses words like individual. It uses words like may. It uses words like health instead of just a threat to life. Uh, it is very sweeping. And his conclusion, Bob, was that the amendment absolutely would rip parents' rights from them, that minors could abort children, that minors could start gender transitions, even surgeries, without parental involvement. And he called it uh, what it would do to abortion. He said it would create limitless abortion uh, because of the, the word health. If, if mom is socially unable to take care of the baby emotionally, cognitively, whatever the reason is, right, um, a, a healthy child could be aborted. Now, opponents of that rail against it, um, but it is what it is. And uh, it, it was pretty shocking when I talked to the attorney. I got several texts during the interview that said this is this is scary stuff, and it is. Yeah, it really is. I'm looking at um, text of the amendment right now, Jack, and uh, just to kind of you know bolster and 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 buttress what what your constitutional lawyer told you, the right to reproductive freedom with protections for health and safety. Um, every individual has the right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on. Uh, contraception, fertility, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage care, and abortion. And the fact that those were so vague, that it does say individual, not adult, consenting adult, but individual means kids too. And the specific language of one's own reproductive decisions means one can only make that decision about themselves, not about another, including their own child. That means mothers, fathers cannot help make that decision that if a child at 14 um, becomes sexually active, which sadly is a reality in a lot of places, and becomes yeah. pregnant, uh, can just choose to go and have the abortion and mom or dad never have to know, much less consent to it. So the language is vague, and then, of course, as you're, you're, you and your your guest had pointed out here too if reproductive decisions are left as vague as that that means um you know fertility and sterility and yes sex change and taking uh cross-sex hormones do indeed make one infertile do indeed sterilize the individual as they move their way toward their transition so they're giving again individuals not adults consenting 18 and over but individuals including kids the rights to do all of things jack all of those things jack that's as radical as there is any kind of abortion rule or law in the country isn't it it is it is, and the maddening part, Bob, and again, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm going into the opinion part here, <laughs> is that I've read this language multiple times, and you know I get picked on a lot because people go, well, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. No, I don't. I studied constitutional law in, in my undergraduate studies. doesn't mean I'm an expert, but I understand a couple of key things. Um, sweeping broad language is the devil, <laughs> and specificity is your friend. I mean, you learn that in contract law. You learn that in contract. Law. And so when you read over this, it says 
every individual, you already, you already quoted that, and I want to come back to that in a minute, but it also says, including but not limited to, and you covered that, which, which means, right, at some point down the road, they're expecting it to include more things. Now, when I think about, let's say, a, a 14-year-old boy who says, you know what, I want to uh, take drugs because I don't want puberty to begin or to continue, that's a reproductive health decision. That's because right. if you're stopping his ability to reproduce, uh, that, that's covered. And now, here's the other argument. Many people have said, individual, as it is referred to, in every case in Ohio, that includes adults. We're going to do more research on that. Because I know for a fact that once your child is 12 years old, and you take that child to, say, a healthcare provider, the healthcare provider will seek to get permission from the child to share medical records and discussions with the parent. So at 12 years old, we already have this precedent baked into our culture where healthcare professionals are putting the kid in the driver's seat. So I don't think it's a stretch at all. One of the things that the attorney said, I think it's really important to say here too, he said, when you read the United States Constitution, it doesn't say anything about abortion rights. It doesn't say anything about transgender rights. But for 50 years, we lived under Roe v. Wade. How is that? Because the Supreme Court of the United States interpreted things written in the Constitution that weren't even there. So when we're writing about abortion and we're creating doorways to make it limitless, when we're writing about reproductive health and we're using words like individual instead of adult or minor, we are opening that door. So it is not a bridge too far. The plain reading of this language, it's very clear. This is not about reproductive health. This is about limitless abortion, and it's about giving kids the opportunity to begin transitioning without parental consent. It is, it is all of those things. And, uh, and Jack, the other thing that it does, if we look into Section B, and we'll stop here after this part so we can get into the other issues of the day. Yep. The state shall not direct or indirectly burden, penalize, prohibit, interfere with, or discriminate against either a or one, an individual's voluntary exercise of this right, or a person or entity that assists an individual exercising this right. Jack, mm-hmm. when I see person or entity that assists with any of those things, that means Planned Parenthood butchers, mm-hmm. often whom um, injure and severely uh, harm the mother that is there for an abortive procedure, Planned Parenthood can't be held accountable. If they try to uh, abort a child uh, in a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old and something goes wrong, they can't be held accountable or liable with it uh, for, for doing so. If, if any doctor, and I'll use that term very, very loosely because of what used to be the Hippocratic Oath that said, first do no harm, does harm to a child's reproductive capabilities by uh, giving them cross-sex hormones, which is going to be irreversible, uh, and this does have negative effects, those, those kids can never come back at those doctors and, and sue them. They can never come back and, uh, uh, and, uh, and get any recompense whatsoever for what was done to them because this amendment in the Constitution says that the state cannot penalize, uh, among other words there, any entity that helps them do these things. That's right. That's right. And when I, and when I read that language, too, Bob, um, let me just take a look at it again. The state shall not directly or indirectly burden, penalize, prohibit, interfere with, or discriminate against either an individual's voluntary exercise 
um, or a person or entity that assists. So what that's saying is the state cannot set up a law. Let's say, for example, and, and by the way, Bob, this is already going on. This is the other point that I want to make. If I hadn't reported on this directly, I might go, I don't know if I believe that. But I, I've seen the email messages where attorneys advised school districts that they are within their rights to not, quote, out a child. So if, in the opinion of somebody in that school, that Johnny wants to be Joan and mom and dad are, and I'll use the, you know, the, the buzz phrase of the week, if mom and dad are Christian nationalists and they're not going to be okay with it, that might do more harm to Johnny to tell his parents that he wants to be Joan. So we're going we're gonna to shelter him from that. Um, if the state says, and they're trying to say that now through a piece of legislation that's in the state house, no, no, you got to warn parents if there's any change to the treatment, uh, psychological, mental, otherwise, if there's any type of gender discussion, well, guess what? That law is ineffectual according to Section B that you just read because Section B is in the Constitution, which and is the supreme law of the land. That, and that yep. supersedes any law in the Ohio Revised Code. Yeah, yep. that's exactly right. And, and, and one last note on that, on Section B. Uh, it says, uh, you know, the state should not be prohibited, burden, blah, 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 unless the state demonstrates that it is using the least, no, I'm sorry, yeah, the, using the least restrictive means to advance the individual's health in accordance with widely accepted and evidence-based standards of care. Health is completely undefined. That means mental health. They can say it's for the mental health of the child, even yep. if it is to the physical detriment of the child. And, yes, we have seen plenty, in the, you know, then we get into, quote, widely accepted and evidence-based standards widely accepted how is that defined and evidence-based what if evidence shows which it does that so many such an in, in fact an extremely high proportion of individuals who go undergo transition surgery at the end of all of this thing become medical patients for life and i don't mean in the sense that we all get physicals once a year they are constantly in a state of needing medical care how can that be considered advancing an individual's health all of these terms are completely undefined, which makes all of them, uh, you know, not, you know, unable to be held liable for what they've done. Yeah, and I know we want to move on, but I want to sit in this for just a minute because I have two really important points. If we hadn't just gone through what we just went through, you could read uh, widely accepted and evidence-based standards of care and go, okay, all right, maybe maybe they're going to have a, a panel or you know, maybe they're going to refer to best practices. We just came through a time where industrial hygienists said masks don't work, they can actually harm you. And if you said that, you were a conspiracist. <laughs> I mean, I've seen how people who have evidence-based arguments that go against the government narrative are shut down. So that should scare the hell out of everybody, number one. And then number two, here's the other part that many people point to. However, abortion may be prohibited after fetal viability. They go, hey, see? After fetal viability, well, back up. Abortion doesn't say shall. It says may be prohibited. And then it says, but in no case may such an abortion be prohibited if the professional judgment of the pregnant patient's treating physician, it is necessary to protect the pregnant patient's life or health. Health. There's that word again. Mental health. Mental, emotional, uh, financial, social 
psychological, my social life. any of those. Yeah, any of those things yeah. can be called part, part of her health, and therefore uh, that must be um, that must be advanced over the interests of the unborn baby. Yep. Yeah. So very broad, very sweeping, and I go back to if the United States Constitution doesn't say a lick about abortion and, 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 and gender issues, yet we had Roe v. Wade, and now we have, what is it, Title IX, they're trying to, scrunch in gender identity, all these other things. Come on. We're not being honest with ourselves if we don't think that, that this amendment will be used to make it okay to abort uh, whatever reason, convenience uh, at any time, and that parents won't be squeezed out of making health care decisions for their minor children. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking at here. Jack, we took our whole time with the same story, and that's okay, because you know what? It's, uh, you know, this is, this is August 16th, so what are we looking at here? Two, uh, what about, um, about two months, I guess? I'm trying to go, I'm trying to count it down to November yeah. 7th. So two months, two and a half months, or whatever it is. Um, Everyone needs to know the real truth about what this amendment says. This one is so much less ambiguous than what uh, issue one was. People weren't sure if they should vote yes or no, but what, the, what does that mean? In this case, it's very, very simple. If you support all of those things that we just described, which is abortion on demand up until the moment of birth and transing of kids without any parental input, then you vote yes. And if you oppose those things, you vote no. This one is going to be a lot more simple. And I think the result of this election uh, is going to really truly reflect, at least I hope it does, um, the feelings of pro life ohio you have a lot of optimism bob i have a lot of pessimism because 50 percent plus one is easy to reach when you don't tell the whole truth and you have uh mainstream media carrying the water for proponents of it but you know what but 50 50 we'll percent plus one is now easy for us to reach as well those of us who are going to tell the truth about this and support and protect life uh so i think that's that's where my optimism is going to come from because you're, you're right now jack you're 100 right we're talking about a coin flip 50 percent means the flip of a coin it's heads or it's tails uh and if that yep. means it's if that means uh we have as much of a chance of passing this uh or excuse me of defeating us as they do of passing this then i'm going to work my rear end off over the next two and a half months to make sure that uh, that that, that uh, support uh, for protecting life is indeed you know uh, uh, what 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 the people gravitate toward here and I really think pro-life Ohio we are a pro-life state will rise up uh, at this moment in time without the confusion that existed on issue one and I'm going to remain optimistic until I have a reason not to which would be on November 8th uh, Jack Windsor, great stuff as always, my friend. Make sure you subscribe to the Ohio Press Network online. The Ohio Press Network, look it up, subscribe to it. It's a tremendous source of great news about Ohio and beyond. Jack Windsor, thank you. God bless you, Bob. Thank you. God bless you too. It's eleven twenty-eight. We'll take a final time out here and come right back with one more segment on Always Right. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on the Answer. Okay, 11.35. i got a few minutes left for a few more phone calls before we ask um, Mr. Uh, O'Reilly to take us to the top of the hour into Charlie Kirk and then some Dennis Prager. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, Jay Seculo, Officer Tatum, stay here all day, all night. If you've got the radio on, you might as well have it on to something that makes sense. And that's AM 1420, The Answer. Um, we're going to go back to the phones now and bring Alan back on. Alan called me uh, before the top of the hour, right as the show or the hour was ending, rather, and I couldn't allow him to finish his point and get into the conversation. So, Alan, I appreciate uh, you calling back as I requested. Uh, why don't you take that from the top so people who missed that part of the call know what we're discussing? Okay, Bob. The concern that, that we all see is the trend towards increased use of DEI 
in the schools, the libraries, every public institution. But there's been a breakthrough, a little ray of hope. Uh, at Texas A&M, they mm-hmm. hired um, a professor as the, uh, let's see, well, anyway, they, they essentially uh, were able to, because of the pushback from the alumni organization, mm-hmm. the hire of uh, this uh, Ms. McElroy, who is, uh, wasn't an Aggie, but she also, uh, I'm reading from this note, and you might want to just look at this uh, as well. Can you give me just uh, a general description? You don't have to read it word for word. What, what's the, yeah, uh, what's well, the, what's the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel here that you're seeing? Yeah, okay. The bottom line is that uh, there was a, a there was a movement by the university alumni to challenge the hiring of uh, Ms. McElroy, who um, was ultimately fired, uh, and challenged that, and ended up um, because of Texas law and because of the action of the alumni, they were able to. Uh, remove the president and the uh, cause he, this McElroy, I think, was going to be the dean of journalism. Okay. And uh, there was an ensuing suit that ended up costing uh, millions of dollars uh, damage against uh, those two individuals. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm still not sure where we are in this. You haven't you haven't connected that hiring and then that firing to the DEI. What was she? What what made her objectionable? Was she a, a DEI proponent and the and the uh, yes, alumni pushback? Right. Is that what we're saying here? Because I'm not getting the yeah. story here. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, that's all right. That's why we're uh, working through it. Try try to try to make this clear. What exactly is the tie into DEI here? I haven't heard that part yet. Okay. Well, <laughs> that was her purpose uh she i guess it was, she was going to be the czar of dei at, at texas a&m okay so in and, addition to being a professor of journalism she was going to be like their dei director yes okay and then and, the alumni pushed back and then they fired her is that the good news we're, we're looking at here well they fi- fired the president who uh hired her wow who and also the uh the individual and they actually it was a gradual process because originally she was going to be hired with tenure um and it ended up negotiating down to maybe five years of uh tenure to uh you're going to be hired and as is uh candidate so the so the bottom line here is that the alumni pushback uh forced i'm assuming the board of trustees or the university president to rethink the whole thing so does that mean that the dei initiative or department if you will at texas a&m is gone is that is it does it go that far well that's a good question it doesn't talk about that but the law of texas uh prohibits uh using a dei uh curriculum or DEI methodology in the classroom and uh, in the hiring process. This is a new law that went into effect, I think, this last year. Okay, now that's that's important, and I'm glad to hear that part, because that actually dovetails off of a story that I did yesterday when I, I discussed it briefly with Peter Kirsch now in Arizona. In Arizona, 
all Arizona's public universities will no longer, this is in the hiring process, not in the admissions of students, but in the hiring process in Arizona, they will no longer request or require diversity statements on the job applications. Um, because what they, what used to be, if you applied for a job with any, any position, particularly faculty in the university, you had to write an essay about your commitment to diversity, uh, and inclusion and equity, the whole die thing. And, uh, the university system has dropped that requirement now. So that's now at least two states and some universities within two states that have scrapped their DEI requirements and, in fact, uh, uh, um, you know, accepted just the opposite, pushback in, uh, in, in the erasure, if you will, of diversity as a, as a standard for hiring. So that's all good news. So the, the headline is, Does Texas A&M's botched hire spell doom for classroom diversity? Some say yes. Does it spell doom for classroom diversity? See, see, and, and, and that's how, the, I don't know what the headline is. What's the publication where the headline ran? Well, it's, uh, it's online. I it's okay. If you don't, it's okay. It's okay. I, I just want to know because of how misleading that is. You see, because what they do, yeah. and I don't know who that, I don't know what that publication is. That's why I asked what they do is they make that sound negative. Does it spell doom for diversity in the classroom? Well, no. Nobody wants to say diversity shouldn't be in a classroom. It's just that it shouldn't be mandated to the point where discrimination happens against others. If people d- yeah. apply for jobs or or apply for admission to the university as a student, and they're discriminated against because they are of a majority color, majority race, majority sex, majority whatever, uh, and they choose somebody else because of their minority status, that is it's propose it's promoting diversity, but it is also uh, promoting discrimination. And, uh, and that, of course, is what is, you know, the uh, Supreme Court has decided is simply illegal and cannot be supported in the university system. So it's just odd the way the, the story you just read and the headline you just gave, the way it doesn't tell the, the whole story. Well, it says it's, it's going to be crucial the, or doomed for it for diversity itself. This, this is the reason why, because the, it's uh, written by Acacia Coronado of the Associated Press, and the, the, it's a... You know, basically, it is a pro-left uh, DEI audience that they're... Of course. They're, yeah, there it is. Right. There's the answer. That's the reason I asked what the publication was. You're right, because they're, they're appealing to the pro-DEI audience and saying this is going to lead to doom for diversity, and it doesn't. It just means if diversity happens, it's going to be organic, and it's going to be natural based on the qualifications of the individuals who are hired, not forced by discriminating against uh, somebody else whose qualifications may be superior, but they don't look right. They don't bring the diversity to the, to the, to the campus or to the classroom or to the faculty or whatever on their own. Well, the, fa- the financial uh, exposure and success of defeating this, I think, is a turning point as well, because up until now, you know, and all of this has been used to, um, you know, create uh, settlement uh, mm-hmm. or firing people that uh, didn't hold the DEI um Right, right. Yeah. So whether it's hiring or decisions on firing, um, you're you're exactly right. But but the real financial aspect of the and thank you for the call. I appreciate your explanation. I know it was a little bit tough to get through, but we got there. Uh, And thank you so much. Um, The real issue here. Let's turn that down just a hair if we can. 
uh, the real issue here is that you said it was alumni-driven. That means alumni who are well-heeled, who make donations to the university, are the ones who essentially threaten the university that if you continue this discrimination, we're going to pull our dollars. You're not going to get another nickel uh, toward your endowment from us. Money always you know, is the determining factor, or often is the determining factor in cases like this. So thanks so much for the call. It is good news, such as it is, but they're trying to spin it a different way. Thanks to my guests, Dr. Kerry Gress and Jack Windsor. Thanks to Seth running the show today. Thanks to Marcy for stepping in, and Marianne, as always, thanks to you for listening. Be well, be safe, stay free. We'll see you tomorrow on Always Right Radio. Bye-bye. Let's go, Brandon.